Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode, whether you're listening or watching. I appreciate your time, so thank you for tuning in. It is good as um, as I move forward in the next stage of my own journey to reconnect with um, trusted people who I've known for a long time. The next guest, I think I've known for at least four or five years, James Dillamore from The People Pipeline. How are you? Good mate. Yeah, good. How are you going? Very well. I um I was trying to think of that the other day, actually. Like how long we've actually um how long we've actually known each other. I think it's I reckon it's been at least four years now, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say it was probably I remember the call actually. I think it was probably the first year I had the talent kitchen. So it's probably imagine six years or just over. It was around twenty fourteen. Um and I think I was I can't remember were you, were you with Grilled at that point? I think I no, I was just leaving. So there you go. So it would have been five years ago then. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you were potentially looking at something new, and mm-hmm. I was working with Grill at the time, so I didn't really know how to handle the call, which is why I remember it. <laughs> yes. um, but then you know you wanted to leave them, so I think we had a conversation. I don't think we managed to place you, but yeah, yeah. that's when we first got in touch, and then we kind of stayed in touch ever since. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I love what you've been doing. Obviously, your your the epitome of recruitment consultants in Australia and um, and the reason why I've always loved you is because um, you really talk about how it is properly and, and recruitment is such a hard game and uh, we want to get into that during this podcast, how it's changed and evolved since COVID and, and your career. So let's, let's talk about your career um, in the industry beforehand because obviously I know you come from hospitality beforehand, which is why I really respect your opinion around recruitment. Um, so do you want to tell everyone uh, sort of how you started out in your career, James? Yeah, no, I'd love to. Um, so <clears throat> started out in um, hospitality when I was uh, the tender age of 15. Um, mm-hmm. My mum told me I was allowed to get a job, which I'm not sure if I was too happy about, but um, <laughs> I was allowed to. I suddenly realised that meant I had money, so I was pretty Yes, that was a good thing. Um, yeah, so I went up and down the high street in the UK um, in, in, in a town I grew up in into you know, all the restaurants and shops and asked if they had any Saturday jobs and uh, went into uh, this, this pizza restaurant and just the vibe immediately got me. They, they just finished a, a busy Saturday lunch, you know, that kind of slightly frenzied clean down before dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and the manager came up to me and um, spoke to him and um, they were short staff for the evening, standard hospitality, yep, pretty normal. whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I got started that evening. So I was, I was washing up. Um, super busy. Didn't have a didn't have a, uh, a dishwasher. I was doing it all by hand, and we did I don't know 140 covers or something. So it's pretty full on evening. Yeah. Right. And apparently they had a bit of history of burning through a KP every night, and I managed <laughs> to survive. So I actually stayed there for I don't know six or eight months until I finally got fed up with it. Um, <laughs> but got got the bug and um, worked through a couple of restaurants actually in the kitchen. So I moved into chefing for a few years, and then got mm-hmm. into restaurant management and did that for a number of years up until. I don't know, probably single site, probably until about 2005, I'd say. Um, and then went multi-site, um, did that in the UK for a bit, a uh, place called The Real Greek in London, and then uh, worked for Harrods in London in Knightsbridge. Met my now wife, uh, she's a Kiwi, had to leave England, so mm-hmm. had to decide whether or not I stayed in the rain or I moved to the sunshine. That wasn't a difficult <laughs> decision. <clears throat> um, jumped on a plane, came over here, um, 
was fortunate enough to um, to be connected with Clovis at Mavmex um, before I got here. So mm-hmm. I had two or three interviews with him on, um, I think Skype it was back then. Yeah. Uh, flew, flew into Sydney, got the job started and then worked for them for three years. Um, did a big opening phase. We opened about 40 restaurants. Was pretty exhausted by the end of it. Well, we worked in hospitality for quite a few years and um, I was just a bit tired. You know, I was tired of cogs and, and labour and, you know, food safety and where the tongs, the chicken tong, tongs should live and all of those conversations I just didn't yes. want to have many more. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, I'd been interested in recruitment for years and just figured I had the skills, hired enough people and just kind of, yeah, it just felt like a natural natural progression into into recruitment. So, yeah, that, that all happened in 2014. Um, I set up, set up my first business, Talent Kitchen, and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just went from there. What was the thing that you most loved about hospitality when you sort of came into it? Obviously, you've been in it since you're 15. That's a, a good chunk of time now, James. Like, was it was it the rush of a of a night service? Was it, you know, the the teammates that you would work with? Like, what was the major thing? I think it's all of that. I think um, you know, it's that busy, you know, all for one kind of attitude when it's absolutely batshit crazy. And you know, I think. You know, good good hospitality operators. That uh, you know, they're smart, they're tenacious, they're hardworking, they're engaged. It's actually a very difficult job. Mm. I think it's underrated. I think it's very yep. underrated. I, I saw, I read a few articles about it over the years, and I read one saying, you know, certain industries are very high pressure. Like, you know, hedge fund trading, etc. There's massive yeah. amounts of money involved. It's very stressful. And actually, liking running a busy restaurant to the same sort of pressures in terms of okay you're not you're not dealing with as much money but but you're under that much stress yes um, yeah you know it's, it's a very stressful job so um i think i think it's you kind of get the bug and if you sink or swim and if you swim then you just i was just hooked on it and i think i think a lot of people are the same was it um was it a challenge for you to try and make sure that people understood there was a career in hospitality, obviously you had, you know, a career, but you had a lot of different brands and that kind of stuff that you work with both in the UK and then obviously with Madame X in Australia, like, was that a hard thing for people to actually feel? Because I think we get caught in this thinking that, that hospitality is a transient kind of job, especially in Australia. And um, yeah, how'd you come back? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that's a good question. Um, I... I think that was always something that played in my mind. Um, you know, I knew I was working hard and I was running a two million pound a year restaurant when I was mm-hmm. 20 years old. Um, <laughs> as a lot of people do, that's not unusual yep. in hospital, you know, you work yep. your ass off. Um, and um, I always got the sense that, you know, my mates that had real jobs, um, you know, they always felt that, you know, that I wasn't necessarily, you know, on the same page as them. It wasn't a profession. That, that's kind of, but but I always felt that it was, and and I feel like in the last certainly ten or fifteen years, I think it's starting to be seen more as that. I think mm-hmm. as restaurants have got more professional and better, um, I think branded restaurants have, have really helped with you know the, the education piece to a certain extent. So mm-hmm. uh, the one that the one the one that started it for for me anyway in the UK was Pizza Express when I started the, the yes. training that they had was you know they obviously recognised that. They had a great concept and a great brand, but their skill was no longer about, you know, making the best pizzas because when you had to do that, their skill was training other people how to replicate that experience over and over again. And yeah, for me, those, those are the best brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ones that get that, you know, Grill's a great example of that. You know, mm-hmm. um, they just, 
they can replicate that experience um, and that's through you know training and having people who are passionate about it about taking the training and learning and development piece very seriously so I feel like that that's really accelerated over the last few years and is, is making people recognize it more but I still feel like you're right it does have that you know it's a student or part-time job it's not a real job yeah I want to ask you about obviously COVID and how that's you know how that's affected recruitment in the last uh, in the last few months. As I know that your business has changed, but like, do you think that's going to change the career path for people in hospitality as well as we move forward into an industry which may have you know a lot less of a pool of jobs for the next couple of years? I do. I feel like it's changing the industry. Like what we're watching right now is. Darwinism, like it's literally yeah. survival of the fittest. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's either you've got deep enough pockets or you know, you had a business that you were able to pivot, you know, and everyone's mm. using the P word everywhere at the moment. You just got to pivot. Well, not everyone can, you know. Yes. You've yeah. got to you've got to have a business that can pivot to start with. So um I think I think we are seeing things change, but I think you know, you've got to look for the positives. And I think that you know, at the back of this, the people that, that do survive are going to probably be the ones that value their people the most and, um, you know, look after their people and, you know, put them before anything else um, because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to pull them out the other side of it. Um, mm. So, yes, I think there'll be less jobs, but I also think that, um, you know, there's also in hospitality been a bit of a history of, you know, one or two shady operators, shall we say? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like that that will be thinned out and I think that what's left will will hopefully be you know a better experience for you know customers but also for the employees as well yeah I, th- I think the employee journey has been you know talked about a tiny bit in the last sort of 12 to 18 months to two years employers are starting to think about how an employee comes through the brand I mean the big the big chains have been doing that for a good period of time but it's been something independent restaurants have been sort of slightly slow to move on I think regulatory so like you've you've had a long career like how have you seen staff culture change from like the late 90s when we sort of started out to to into where we're dealing with now like I remember when I was uh, first trained to 16 I remember my my old boss telling me you know that in the 80s he used to get stuff thrown in his head when he was a uh, you know a chef in Europe and you know I, I never had any of that but certainly the staff culture when I was 16 is completely different now that I'm 39 like how have you seen it change and evolve for the better? Well I think the, the first thing I think it's very different between Australia and the UK. Yep um so that's been a big change mm-hmm. um i think i think you're right i think australia probably is seen as less of a career in australia even though i, I had that same barrier mm-hmm. in the uk it's, it's even more so here like you're mm. it's not viewed as a you know a real job kind of thing mm-hmm. um and then i think that um the other side of it is you, you know there's a lot more travelers in in Australia so you know the, the casual workforce is a lot more transient and it's not just transient with students which is what I dealt with in my restaurant in, in South London um, yeah. it's transient with you know British backpackers and German backpackers and you know all, all of that good stuff who are on six-month visas or 12-month working holiday visas or whatever it might be mm-hmm. um, so I guess it's hard for me to compare because it's, it's not apples for apples sure. um, but I, I do think the standards have improved um, acro- across the board, and I think they've had to. Um, I think you know they call it you know the you know the Master Chef generation. I guess everyone 
everyone wants to open a restaurant and have a restaurant and there's a lot more competition and you know as a result of that everyone's just had to get better so mm-hmm. um i feel like the standards you know the standards have improved and the, and the workplaces have improved it's it's less it's less cowboy than it was it's moving in the right, in the right direction it's good to hear um let's talk about recruitment moving forward i think recruitment is um is a really undervalued skill uh, and training is probably the second most undervalued skill in hospitality. How do you think recruitment's going to change, um, you know, moving forward in the next 12 months? Obviously, let's talk about how you've changed your business to start with because I know you have in a really dramatic and positive way. But how do you think recruitment's going to change in the hospitality industry? Well, I think it's it's like everyone in every market at the moment. You've just got to learn to do a lot more with a lot less. And, you know, you've got to think about your customers and their needs and just really service that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think it's like anything, you know, if you're, if you're prepared to do that and be good at it, then you're, you're going to be okay. If you're, if you're stuck with a, you know, a wooden rigid model, um, then chances are if it's not what the market wants, you're not going to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we're going to see competition reduce. I think we're going to see, you know, what, what agencies are offering changing. So, you know, I used to have a, a an old school contingent recruitment model, I suppose, no win, mm-hmm. no fee, um, high octane, loads of fun when you get a sale. Um, but, you know, the risk is there. You might not make a sale. So the price has to be high and, you know, it's one of those Wolf of Wall Street charged mm. sales environments, which is yeah. it's kind of fun for a while. But I, I don't, I don't think it's particularly healthy. I, I don't think that the industry gets the best of us um, because there's, you know, there's a hidden agenda, and the hidden agenda is the sale. Um, yeah. So, w- w- what I'm trying to do is change the conversation, um, and rather than selling, you know, just the person, I'm selling my expertise. So I'm helping businesses to do a couple of things. The first one is, you know, so post-COVID, I'm teaching them how to recruit for themselves. So putting in place all the systems and processes that, you know, I've built and developed for to run my my agency, mm-hmm. um, putting them into their into their operations. And then if they want me to stick around, I can help help them run it for them. Um, mm-hmm. That way, you know, they're getting the result, they're only IP um, and um, you know I'm teaching them to, to to fish for themselves rather than just a quick a quick win so it's far more strategic um and they're going to get a lot more a lot more value out of that um and then i guess you know that the second part of the equation is those clients that that genuinely don't want to do it for themselves because it is it is quite labor intensive and you know they may not have the time to, to follow the process so um i'm still offering a you know a done for you model as well but that's more based around you know managing the process for them um rather than you know the no win no fee model, um, sure. And because I've got that, you know, security that um, that I'm going to get paid for the work I'm doing, it means I can charge a lot less for it. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's just trying to educate the market that there's, you know, there's a better way of doing it. I'd rather be a partner rather than you know the Dick Turpin figure, which is what all agents are painted as, whether it's real estate <laughs> or, or recruitment. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. I want to ask you an interesting question because I think you would have seen a lot of literature over your period of time in recruitment, but really focuses on what the interviewee needs to do to make sure they slam dunk an interview. Mm-hmm. You work in recruitment where you're talking to people every day wanting jobs. What do good interviewers need to do in order to make sure that they represent the brand 
they're serving uh, in the proper way? I think that's a brilliant question and, I, and it's something I'm trying to educate on as part of, of my service now. But one of the biggest failings I see in businesses is their recruitment process is, you know, quite often they're, they're horrible. Um, mm. So the biggest advice I can give to people running interview processes is, firstly, sit down and map it out. Like, what, what are the key things you're trying to achieve from, from the process? What's the information you want to glean from the process? Mm-hmm. And build each stage around, you know, a different topic. So whether it's, you know, their behaviours, whether it's, you know, their skills and experience, whether it's, you know, a reference check and then a post-reference interview to pick up on any, you know, anything that's come out of the references. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's two reasons for doing that. One, to make it super accurate. Um, but two, so you can repeat it. Um, you know, so you're measuring everyone against the same yardstick. Yeah. Um, the amount of times we've put candidates forward and the interview process changes every time you put a candidate forward. Yes. Um, and, and you're not measuring the candidates against the same thing. And, you know, one, 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 one manager's good is another manager's bad. And, and it's yes. just very hard to understand what the client's looking for and for the candidates to understand as well. So I think consistency is key. I think plan the interview stages and, you know, and understand what you're trying to get out of each one and then mm-hmm. build the interview process around that. And the other thing is make it snappy. Hospitality, people are in it for a good time, not for a long time, you know, and, and good talent goes quickly. It's hard to find good managers. It's hard to find good chefs. And, Absolutely. you know, often you find them and another three agents and another two businesses have already found them. So if you're serious about hiring that person, you know, get, get your interview process right so you can identify who's good. And when you found them, you, you need to move and, and get them in, get them in quickly. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be my advice. What are, for the interviewers as well, like what are the couple of things that, that you guys do as recruitment agencies that, that managers or, or HR managers within branch should do um, to start it? Because quite often I've been interviews where straight away they'll talk about me, which is incredibly important. But um, how important is it for that interviewer to talk about their brand and what they're actually offering that interview? Uh, that is viewee. Um, I think I think it depends, you know, where where you put that in your process. Um, mm-hmm. I personally, once you've decided, I, I don't think you should be speaking about the opportunity until you've decided whether or not they're appropriate for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, because as soon as you start to do that, the candidate gets excited and thinks they're through right. to the next stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my advice would be you know, work out, you know, whatever your screening criteria are, whether it's, you know, location, RSA, whatever tertiary qualification you want, whatever experience you want, you know, you're checking those boxes off first, the easy ones, maybe that's a phone screen. Um, And then the second interview might be behavioural, so giving them examples of situations and and asking how how they'd react in that situation. And, you know, generally, you know, you're going to find out who they really are and, and you know how they behave, which is which is what you want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. If they if they've checked the 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 you know the the background piece and then they've also checked off um, you know the behavioural cultural side of it, I think that's the point when I then start to say you know a bit more about about the opportunity and getting into the nitty gritty of, of how the role will actually function. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't launch straight into the role because, as I said, it just it just builds expectations. Yeah, good point. Really good point. Um, how do you think employers should balance their full-time staff, their part-time staff, and their casual staff? Like I find that most of the time 
employers will put a lot of focus on their full-time staff, which they should. They're the ones that are there the most and all that kind of thing, but really treat their casual staff as just people to rock up, do a shift and do a task. Like how do you, I know you don't deal in that kind of recruitment of casual team, um, but how how do we get employees to put more focus on casual team members, do you think? That's a good question. I, I think that the very nature of casuals is that, you know, it's a flexible workforce. And mm. I think that, you know, their shift patterns and how many hours they're doing, you know, are going to flex in line with the needs of the business. It's kind of the point of having them. Yes. Um, but I, but I certainly think you should be interacting with them, you know, in the same way as you do mm. the rest of the rest of your business. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, your head chef and your, you know, your your section waiters and your your supervisors, are, you know, they're they're the core of the, the operation. But um, you know, the, the casuals need to feel like they're part of that team and they're on that train, or they're just not going to give the same level of service. Um, mm-hmm. I think when I was running single site restaurants, um, it's a bit cheesy, but um, I always used to to run it with the the attitude that you know you can't fake a smile and yes. the amount of times I, I went through brands brands training before that point and it, and it always used to say on it remember to smile <laughs> and I just thought that's really cheesy um, whereas if if the team are, are smiling because they're happy in their work that's way more powerful you know yeah. and they're they're interacting with you because they're with you because they're enjo- as a customer because they're enjoying themselves mm-hmm. and that, that that's where I wanted it to be. Um, so I think running a restaurant, I think it's just the way that you you engage with them and making sure they feel looked after and loved. And yeah, their hours are going to go up and down a little bit, but you know that's kind of what they're signing up for, and yeah, it's kind true. of what they want as well. Um, that so flexibility comes down to communication. Yeah. What um what do you think? A couple of most important things um, for employees to think about after they've hired that person into the business. Like, what do they what do they need to do once they've hired them? They've got their contract. They're you know, ready to go because so many so many people in this industry leave after a short period of time and being in one brand. And that could be a multitude of different reasons, but what are the couple of ways do you think that they can mitigate that risk? Yeah, I think there's not many industries like hospitality where it is literally sink or swim. If your first night is a Saturday night, the risk of it going wrong and you feeling like you've screwed it up or you know, someone's yelled at you. is is massive, yes. and that's one of the reasons why I think people don't last particularly long. Mm-hmm. Um, in some instances, they just suddenly you know, don't gel, or something's gone wrong that night, and it just hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think the best thing that that, that that businesses can do is is set their newbies up for success and you know, protect them. Uh, you know, p- protect them from that hell night and put them with a really strong person that's going to look after them and have a training plan for them and an onboarding plan and check in mm-hmm. with them and make sure they're okay. Because brands are really, really, you know, good at, at saying what they want, and you know, you read particular industries, uh, sorry, particular companies' job ads, and it's just a list of we want this and we want this and we want this, and there's no thought about the person, like yes. how, how are they going to be treated, how should they behave. Mm. So I'd love to see that kind of culture shift a little bit around into, you know, how how, how are we going to look after this person, um, you know, and whether it's with more structured training or you know more regular catch ups or you know, making sure they're not, you know, given the full burden of a, of a section on their first night, which I've seen a hundred times. Yeah. Um, and that is literally the ultimate sink or swim. So if mm-hmm. you want them to swim, then, you know, sometimes you've got to give them armbands, you know. <laughs> totally agree. Um, two more questions for you, James, before I before I let you go. What, um, what parts of our industry do you think are going to be hit the hardest 
um, moving forward? Like, what what do you think the biggest job losses are that are, that are going to happen over the next uh, next six months or so? I think that this has been ruthless. So I, I don't think there's many sectors that are, you know, that are bulletproof to this. Um, you know, there are certain parts of the market that, you know, for drive throughs for example, have managed to keep going and, and mm. actually and speaking to some pretty significant operators in Australia over the last few months have actually done pretty well. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I think that, it's really going to come down to the, the the company and you know the leadership in that company and how much money they have. Like, it, it, like it's just unprecedented. So yeah, true. I think I think this isn't going to discriminate. It's not going to discriminate between different parts of the market. I think you know I read an article Luke Mangan posted a couple of weeks back, and and he reckoned thirty to forty percent of the industry would disappear over the next 12 to 18 months and i think that's yeah. crucial like mm, you know agreed. yes we've been closed down but um but the full impacts haven't been felt yet because one job keeper everything's going out job keeper, yeah it's great mm-hmm. um but the companies don't have any revenue so it's not you know what they really need is their doors open but mm. i think the biggest kind of false sense of security people have got right now is that you know all the banks all the credit card companies the ato everyone you owe money to they're all being really nice right now no yes. one's asking for their money back uh, no one. They, yes. They're giving you interest-free periods. They're not. They're giving you repayment pauses for six months. You fast forward six months when the restaurants mm-hmm. open their doors again. Mm-hmm. Those businesses are going to be hurting as well. Yeah. And, and that's when I think we're going to start to see the real casualties. Yeah. Uh, I agree. When you know, when the ATO and those guys start to turn the screws and ask for their money back. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a, there'll be a lot more insolvencies around that period. Yeah. No, I totally agree. James, let's let's end on a positive note. What do you what do you think that's going to happen to the industry that's going to be positive moving forward? What are you looking forward to, to seeing that's going to be positive in the hospitality industry? You know, let's say in two years time. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> two years time, yeah, because we're going to have a year of rebuilding. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think that I, you know, I love eating out. I love eating at new restaurants, and as a consumer. I think I just want to have, you know, I just want to have a really good selection of high quality, good Aussie casual dining. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like, you know, we're going to lose a lot, but I think there's going to be opportunities about, you know, on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, you know, right now it's a horrible time to have owned a restaurant and, you know, you would have lost, you would have lost some money for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you've got, you've got to look for, You've got to look for the opportunity. New opportunities, yeah. yeah. The opportunity on the other side is going to be there's going to be cracking leasing deals coming up, <laughs> um, and there's going to be a whole bunch of very talented people who you know who, who want to go again. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing that, that unfold, and I guess helping it to helping it to happen. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the future is bright. It's just not the future we thought it was going to be um, yeah. three or four months ago. Totally agree. James, thanks so much for your time today. How can uh, how can people find out about more about you and what you do? Okay, um, so I've got a, a website, um, uh, thepeoplepipeline.com. dot mm-hmm. um, I'm also pretty heavily active on LinkedIn, um, mm-hmm. and I'm, as I mentioned, helping businesses to recruit for themselves and save a bit of money and improve their processes, as well as offering you know my, my network. Um, on a completely different fee structure. So anyone out there who is looking for people and need some help, yeah, I'd love to love to have a chat. 
Awesome. As always, linked up on the bio of this podcast so you can check it out. James Dillamore, thank you so much for your time. Cheers, mate. Thanks so much.